Welcome to the Health from the Source podcast, where we're dedicated to educating people about health, ancestral nose-to-tail nutrition, regenerative agriculture, and the interplay between environment, health, and sustainability. Welcome back. So this is episode four now, where we're going to be talking to Chris of ProVeneer and chat a little bit more about that process, some aspects of transparency and sustainability. Obviously, we've talked a fair bit about what regenerative agriculture is and how that differs, but there's a component of really understanding where your food comes from, where you're sourcing everything, and we'll learn a little bit more about what ProVeneer is doing because it's quite phenomenal the aspect of transparency they have. No one else is doing it in the space. Um, and so I don't want to give too too much away to start off. I'll pass it on to Chris and we can dive into a little bit more about that process and understanding yeah, where our food comes from. And particularly, we'll talk a little bit about how that compares to say the conventionally raised animals versus what Provenir is doing and where we're getting our sourcing provided origin as well, because it's a very important process. So Chris, I'll pass it on to you. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about you know, some of your proprietary approaches, particularly around that tra- transparency of sourcing. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, when we started Provenir, uh, it really was a bit of a game changer. So we were actually changing the entire supply chain of meat production um, in Australia. So traditionally, animals were raised on a farm. They were um, moved to a sale yard where a um, processor or an abattoir would purchase the animals and they'd be trucked to a um, abattoir to be processed and converted into meat. Now, through that process, the um, origin of the animal gets lost. A pen of animals can come from an incredible farm that really has amazing environmental stewardship of the land that they have, and that can be right next to a pen of animals that have just been bought and sold and just churned over purely for money using lots of Roundup, um, you know, poor, what we consider poor farming practices. And so the consumer never knows what's coming through from there. So, you know, uh, all the butchers, they don't know that as well. So in Australia, we have probably the best uh, animal livestock identification system, which is NLIS. So the traceability of each animal from the farm through the abattoir is ensured to to make sure that that animal is fit for human consumption. What it doesn't capture is how that animal was raised, what that animal ate, how that animal was handled. And that's what we saw was a really big gap in the market. And we had the opportunity because we were mobile, because we are mobile, um, we're actually on the farm in which those animals are raised. We actually get to see the farmers. We get to meet the farm managers. We can see all of the practices that they have. And we saw that this is what the consumers were wanting. Okay, if I'm buying some meat, what, what life did this animal have? What farm did it come from? What animal is it? Is it Angus? Is it Hereford? Is it Shorthorn? None of that existed. It was just beef. It could mm-hmm. have come from a feedlot. It could have come from the best regenerative farm, and you wouldn't know. So with Provenir, we were like, we've got to tell that story. 
because we're only going to work with the farmers that align with our view of how uh, regenerative farming can be a key part to the solution of the climate issues that we have. And we, we mm. can go into a bit more depth around that. So um, when we were starting the company, it was like, how can we let the consumer know exactly where that animal or that piece of meat has originated from? And how can we tell the farmer's story um, in a way that the consumer can validate every single time they buy a piece of meat. It's not a website. So we've got some proprietary um, technology um, that creates a QR code that is our own identification system for every animal that we process. So when they walk onto the mobile processing unit and we start the um, processing of the animal, a unique QR code is attached to that individual animal. And as it goes through the process, that QR code is translated into each cut of meat that comes from um, that animal. So Amazing. when you yeah, it's 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 really cool, um, and uh, we were the second company in the world to adopt it, um, and we're the only company in the world that um, still uses it. So unfortunately, the other company um, in Sweden um, uh, closed their doors. But mm. for the consumers, every piece of meat has a little QR code they can use their phone, and on that will pop up three tabs on the on the phone. The first one will tell them what cut of meat that they have, which, um, you know, even Sherlock Holmes could work that out. Okay, I bought an eye fillet. But it actually, tell, <laughs> it actually tells um, where in the animal it comes from. So there's a bit of an education um, around that. You know, the eye fillet is 0.5% of the animal. Um, everyone loves eating eye fillet. It is the most unsustainable cut um, that exists on the animal. But we yep. tell them how to cook it. The next tab will tell about the farm that we've processed at and it'll identify um, the general location, Western Victoria, Northern Victoria, New South Wales, wherever we're processing. And we've got a whole story about each of those farmers, which uh, has been a bit of a game changer for the farmers as well, because for so long, they've been invisible to the end consumer of their product. You know, they, they might have a, um, a fantastic story, but Jane in, you know, inner city um, Melbourne would have no idea about yep. what those people are doing, but they care about it. So this yep. was a fantastic opportunity that we had about actually connecting farmer and consumer um, so that they can actually um, in, digitally connect um about through the food that they're eating as well so you know that's been really exciting to see that evolve and so so many farmers get excited about it and and you know when we ask them for a profile about their farms you know we get thousands of words about because they're just so excited to be able to tell their story about what they're doing and how much they care for the animals and how much they care for the land that they're on yeah, there's so much value there. It's amazing what you've been what you've been doing, and it ties into our conversation that we had uh, previously around really getting the connection back to our food and our supply chain and farmers, 
right? They're, they're a grossly undervalued part of society. I feel like mm. in Australia, less so. I think we still have a very good grounding basis around supporting farmers here, but definitely in the metropolitan areas, we've completely lost that connection with food and land. Um, and that really comes into the role of A, sustainability and, and B, health and nutrition, right? because it starts from the food. And if we're getting high quality, well-sourced food, then that's going to help the whole society. It's going to help people's health. It's going to help everything overall. So I think it's fantastic to have that. And now having someone doing this in the space is going to be great. And hopefully, you know, we see more, more people shifting towards caring about the sourcing. And I think we are seeing that happen over time, you know, sustainability, yeah. ESG, that whole movement is, is really important now. So having a company such as yourselves starting to do, um, projects like this, where we can really see what farm is coming from, what cattle, what are they doing for their land management is so much value there. And it is always how it goes that, you know, you can support things with your wallet, right? So what we pay for is usually where the market goes. And so hopefully people are caring more about this, are going to start to spend the money towards things that do have that level of transparency, because now you know where it's coming from. You know the farmers that you're supporting, and there's just so much more awareness and improved perspective on the food supply chain from that point of view. The I, I think um, the real challenge in the supply chain is with the processes, and you know a lot of people sort of don't like using the word processor. You know, it's because you know a, a farmer is out there with their animals, caring for the land, and so forth. And then there's the retailer that actually provides the product and whether it's meat, bread, fruit or whatever, it's the processes that have the responsibility of actually continuing the traceability of mm. the product from there. And there's a lot of tech out there that can enable processes to do that, but there's a real resistance to doing that because they don't want the traceability. They, they <laughs> of course. want to tell the story of that. And, you know, I'm really passionate about, you know, processes playing a really important role because, you know, without a processor, we're not eating any meat. There's just yep. a lot of cows walking around the, <laughs> uh, the, the, the paddocks. So, you know, I, I think we need to have this, as you um, were saying, a, a whole of supply chain view to ensure that we actually know what we're eating so that we can differentiate between the products that we want to support and those that are just greenwashing. A nice picture mm. of, a, of a farmer in a paddock with cattle on um, walking past them. You know, does that mean that all the product actually, all of the farms that they uh, work at, work with are like that? Or do they yeah. work with feedlots? Or do they work with high volume commercial um, operations that are principally focused on volume and um, turnover of profit. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're playing a um, really um, industry-leading role. We're so small um, and, you know, I'm, I have no doubt as to why the rest of the industry hasn't picked up the, um, the technology um, yet, but, uh, you yeah, know, consumers will drive that. 
Absolutely. Yeah, the greenwashing thing is important. And for people that maybe haven't heard that term or are unfamiliar with that term, greenwashing is basically, you know, using the guise of sustainability and environmental protection in your marketing when really you're not really doing anything to support sustainability or regeneration of the land. It's just a, it's a fancy thing to use to make your product look better and to sort of coerce people into buying. So that's this aspect of, of greenwashing and it, it's around everywhere. And there's some interesting aspects, you know, we talk about grass fed and really understanding where things are coming from, but even grass fed can be one of these things, which is greenwashing because there's grass fed and grass finished. And a lot of cattle are grass fed for the majority of their time on pasture. But then when they go just before slaughter, they're being grain fed to fatten them up and do all that. But you can still technically label them as grass fed. So there's all sorts of interesting aspects there. And, you know, eggs and chicken are a notorious one for that. There's a lot of free range, pasture raised. There's, there's all sorts of things where there's greenwashing and a lot of consumers, unfortunately, don't really understand the difference between all these uh, nomenclature at all. So maybe could you share with us a little bit about, you know, what is the conventional approach? You've mentioned things like sale yards, abattoirs, paint a picture for people. So, you know, they get to understand a little bit about why moving away from that conventional processing is important, how that affects the animal and why what you're doing and your sourcing is so much better. It's so um, talking about the conventional system, it's, there's a, a myriad of different um, ways that uh, animals are processed from, from farm through to the eventual cut. So, um, I guess what I'll talk about is is some of the, um, I guess, worst case scenarios um, where animals um, can be uh, raised, weaned at a young age, sent to a sale yard, then they go to what's referred to as a backgrounder, so someone who will purchase the cattle, raise them for a period of time. All they're trying to do is get height on the animal. They don't actually care about any weight gain from there. So what they're doing is just holding them for a period of time, quite often on, on very poor um, land. And they're just actually running the cattle for a period of time such that they get to a certain height and weight that then they will be sold to a feedlot. Now, feedlots are intensive um, cattle operations in which animals are held in small confines. Um, they won't have access to grass. They'll generally be um, housed in uh, high density areas that uh, provided a high energy feed. So uh, what we're talking about, a lot of cereals, they often put a lot of sugars in there. So a lot of uh, waste product from confectionery manufacturers will go in there. So what they're trying to do is have a high energy, high sugar diet, which will actually make the animal um, fatten up very quickly from there. And then what they do is they will um, continue to uh, grow the animals until they get to a very specific weight. Now, industry loves that because there's no variation in the animals. They're all the same size. They're all the same weight. They're like, it's a cookie cutter. Very um, unnatural. Uh, completely unnatural. Um, and these animals 
um, are all of the same age. So uh, cattle are actually very complex um, social animals. They have a hierarchy in there, um, which is based on various ages that they have. Now, when they take them into a feedlot um, situation, it's basically like having a bunch of teenagers um, locked up in a small pen. So, um, you know, the feedlot industry has done a lot to um, try and uh, improve the animal welfare conditions. Um, previously, there was a lot of um, basically heat stroke. So what happens is on hot days, because they're eating so such high energy foods, um, animals can actually die because they overheat internally. So if you get a hot day, they don't have the capacity to be able to um, regulate their body heat. Um, and then, you know, they can have a death rate of around, you know, 5 to 7%, which you go, that's not too high. Um, all of a sudden start to think of a 25,000 head feedlot, which mm. uh, there are multiples of them existing in Australia, and then multiply that number by 0.05 or 0.07. That's a lot of dead animals. That Absolutely. So, so it, it's a very efficient way of being able to grow the animals. It's a very economically um, lucrative way of being able to, in high volumes, process meat. I just don't think it really aligns with most people's um, ethical barometer of how an animal should be raised. So Absolutely. that's 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 the most extreme sort of version of the conventional system, um, and then there's a myriad of other um, systems. Probably we're at the other extent, um, where we um, there, there's no life transport required for the animal. Um, the animal will live its life on the farm. Um, it will be with its um, mother for an extended period of time. It will have an entirely grass-fed uh, grass diet, which um, the, these animals are designed to eat grass. Yeah, that's that aspect we were talking about before of a, a ruminant animal versus a monogastric. And ruminants, actually, if you feed them things they're not supposed to eat, they will die. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's that's a real concern in the feedlots as well. They they have to have transition feeds, and some farmers will actually start the transition feed while they're on the farm, and they'll get a higher price going to the feedlot because the death rate will be lower. You know, these are all the economics that sit behind that. And um, for us at Provenir, and, and you know, I'm, I'm a farmer, I'm small scale farmer, um, run my um, little herd of cattle, and they will only ever eat grass. That's what they they eat. Um, and they're designed to eat that. A bit like, you know, humans, we're designed to be omnivores, um, have a large um, animal-based proportion of our diets. That's what they're designed to do. And they're a lot healthier from there. So um, for us in that production system, um, our through the harvest process, um, which is where where we go through the processing of the animal, so from from slaughter through to um, carcass production, the the uh, organs um, we have a very high retention rate of the organ meats. So 
um, there's legal requirements that a meat safety inspector has to be on at every abattoir. And if there's no safety um, inspector, the abattoir is not allowed to operate. Um, and they are actually there and they do a, I think it's a 42 point check on every single animal looking for disease, infection, ensuring that the animal is um, absolutely um, appropriate for human consumption. So there's a lot of laws around that and they're very, yeah. very strict. Um, and so it's grass fed, grass finished cattle um, have a much better um, organ retention rate than feedlots because the organs basically um, are trying to cope with an unnatural diet. And so there's a very high um, rate of organ condemnation. Yeah, which is great for you know our vital origin brand because obviously we're we're getting the organs yeah. straight from there. So it's nice to know that we're getting you know, some of the highest quality organ meats that we possibly can and, and no one else can really match us when it comes to that. But even before we kind of get into that process, you, know, you touched on so many interesting aspects of what the, you know, let's say worst case scenario, the conventional model looks like. And we talked about the the way that the animals are raised, but there's a whole social component and, and animal welfare component to that too. A lot of people think of the health of the animal and we need to consider the emotional state and, and everything else if we're thinking about how do we be the most sustainable and ethical. And as you said, cows are very social and what they're put into is just completely contrary to how they're supposed to live. And so that whole process, there's so many steps in there which can create a lot of duress for the animals between being shipped around on trucks all the time, being at the sale yard, being confined at wherever they're at before they go to the abattoir, even there, there's so many components of that, that process that needs to be improved. And of course, you know, industrial era, obviously from an economics perspective, it's been great, but we obviously, we need to start to align ourselves more with, with nature and think less production efficiency and try to figure out ways where we can have still the support of our nutrition, but still do it in a way that is ethical, sustainable um, from a, a larger perspective. And even from the sustainability perspective, you know, we talked about a lot of the regenerative farming, but there's a lot of these secondary and tertiary effects that people don't think of. So, you know, having to ship things around, having a massive industrial processing facility, a lot of those things are additional carbon footprint. And the same can be said for plant-based foods, right? This is a big thing that people don't think of. You think of all the toxins that need to be sprayed, all the industrial facilities to process that food, all the tractors required to till the lands, all of those things. So people don't think a lot of those tertiary effects. So yeah, we definitely need to look at improving how we approach our food and try to align it more with what nature and, and ecosystems really brought us to. But I guess that, that ties back into our, our first talk about regenerative agriculture. So we don't need to go too much into that. So one thing that I'd like to cover and that I think is, is good to know, and many people maybe don't necessarily want to know or are not that familiar with the process, but is to actually go into what the process is actually like on the truck and then on the abattoir and the process of, you know, packing down an animal that actually brings food on our table. A lot of people are very disconnected from that, as we've said. So I think it's good to add to that transparency component 
and just cover what that process looks like. Because I think, yeah, what you guys are doing are obviously uh, very important and it adds to the potential quality of the food that we're getting. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those questions that I get asked a lot, which is probably not that, un that unusual for um, the industry that I'm in, but it's something that people are often almost embarrassed to ask about because they sort of, they don't really know um, how the process goes. So um, Propney is all about traceability. So um, we, we're very, um, I guess, proud to be able to um, talk about the harvest process that we use. So the whole design of the mobile abattoir uh, was principally around two aspects. Um, and those two aspects are animal welfare and meat quality. And, and the two are absolutely linked together. So from an animal welfare um, perspective, you know, a lot of people uh, sort of go, yeah, well, how can you talk about animal welfare because you're going to slaughter the animal, um, which we do. But um, that's the point when animal welfare is absolutely critical. The, the end of life process, if that is done well, it's not stressful, it honours the animal and it's done with the sort of respect that we would like to think that um, as evolved species, we can harvest food for ourselves in a way that actually aligns with our ethics. So the truck um, moves from farm to farm. It interlocks with the um, farmyard uh, where the cattle are very familiar with going through the, the yards. They're with their own herd structure, which is really important. Um, because a, a great stressor for uh, cattle in particular are when they're away from their herd structure. So they've, they've got friend groups, got quite a well-developed social structure. So being away from um, their normal surrounds creates stress. So that's one of the key principles of a mobile abattoir is that we actually go to their um, place of, of being raised. So from that point, um, the farmer will uh, run an individual animal up into the back of the truck. There's a ramp that comes off the side of the truck and it will go into a purpose-built, what's referred to as a knocking box. Um, and that's a, it looks very much like a standard cattle crush with a few other elements um, included in that design to ensure that the animal um, experiences a minimal amount of stress and that the process is done very quickly. So once the animal comes into the knocking box, it's uh, restrained in five points. Um, so it's very important that we keep the head still. And then from there, which is unique to our design, we have what's referred to as belly pads. So these are two hydraulic um, pads that come up underneath the animal and cradle the belly of the, the animal. Um, and that's based on Temple Grandin's design, who's um, been an absolute leader in um, re-engineering abattoirs such that mm. they aren't as stressful as what they um, used to be back in the 50s and 60s. So once it's um, gone into the, the knocking box and it's safely restrained, um, then the next process, so the slaughter process consists of um, two key princi uh, principal parts. The first part is to stun 
and the second part is to stick. So the stun process is what we use in uh, Provenir is what's called a captive bolt. Um, it very much looks like a handgun that you might see on a, a detective's movie. Um, but within that pistol, instead of having a projectile, it actually just has a bolt that sits within the um, shaft of the gun and it uses a, um, a, a cap or a 22 explosive. So there's no actual projectile um, on, the, on the bullet, it's just the gunpowder. So when um, the animal's restrained, um, the, the person doing the slaughter, which is quite often me, um, will uh, hit, have to hit the um, correct point on the animal to ensure that there's what's referred to as an irreversible stunning. So what that means is the bolt will um, go into the frontal cortex of the um, skull and render the animal uh, unconscious. So the definition of death is actually when the heart stops beating. Um, but at that point, they're effectively brain dead. So they've lost all consciousness um, and it's called irreversible. So once that occurs, there, there won't be ever any regaining of um, consciousness. Um, so once we've ensured that the animal um, has been appropriately stunned, so there's a couple of um, key indicators just to ensure that the animal uh, will not feel any further um, pain or, or discomfort. Uh, we check on the, the eye reflex, so if there's no eye reflex, and then also um, we remove the tongue out of the side of the mouth, and if they don't draw the tongue back into their mouth, they're two um, key indicators that it's lost all consciousness. Um, and one if I could interject just there Please. quickly, there's so many points where it's very clearly quite a humane process and kind of goes where a lot of people perhaps have a, you know, this misconception of how animals are treated. And of course, you know, there has been some of the conventional ways we talked about where maybe they weren't doing it as, as well, but this process here, it seems very quick, very painless. So as far as a uh, animal welfare and ethical perspective, it's, it's about the best way an animal could go. And prior to that, they've lived on the farm, mostly on pasture for that time prior. Yeah, so um, all on pasture, it's um, everything that we do is grass-fed, grass-finished. Um, we're out on the farm, we can see that, we know that. Um, and then the, um, I guess the, the, the stress period of the slaughter process is anywhere between sort of 30 seconds to 90 seconds. Um, then once the animal is stunned, um, then we'll do the stick process, which is um, inserting a 10-inch um, knife uh, in through the front of the brisket, and that'll cut the vena cava at, at the top of the, the heart, and that'll allow the bleed-out process to occur from there. So um, our process, we get um, audited um, three times a year, um, unannounced audits by the regulators that will come in and watch our stun and stick process. And um, we've never had any issues with it that, that um, suggest to us that it's probably one of the um, best animal welfare processes um, that they've seen from there. 
um, and that it ensures that the animal can't injure itself and that the animal can't injure any of our um, workers on the truck as well from there. Mm. So once the animal will then bleed out, that'll take probably another 90 seconds to two minutes. Um, and at that process, the animal um, is defined as um, deceased. So once um, we've ensured that the animal has fully bled out, that's really important from a meat quality perspective. You want the blood out of the animal as quickly as possible, stops any potential internal um, bleed out or bruising to occur to the meat. Um, and once we've um, ensured that, then the knocking box actually opens up in, into the truck where the animal will then be hoisted up um, and at that stage, we do a couple of steps uh, at the front of the animal. So um, we remove the ears, um, they, they're harvested for dog food, um, and then we will uh, make an incision along the uh, neck of the animal. And once we uh, have opened that up, then we will harvest the trachea, which um, again is a wonderful source of collagen, um, and it's also uh, one of the favorites for the dog food as well. <laughs> we'll that ties into that whole nose to tail approach again, right? Like a lot of people, yes. a lot of people don't realize pretty much everything gets utilized. Nothing, nothing really gets wasted. Although most people only eat meat these days, still a mm. lot, a lot goes into other uh, dog food products or animal food products, goes into leather, goes into collagen, goes into many other types of products. So it's nothing really that goes to waste, which is excellent. Yeah, and that's one of the philosophies that we have as well. If we, if we are going to take an animal um, for us to eat, um, we, we believe it's incumbent on us to use absolutely every part that we can as well. And I think this is probably one of the key points of our harvest process to um, the, the, the very fast industrial um, abattoirs is that every organ is um, thoroughly checked um, and then straight after that it's um, bagged and cryovacked straight away so a lot of the other organs are just put down an organ shoot um, they're really not going to be know which one is grain fed which one is grass fed as long as it um, meets the grade it just goes down the chute and then um, i think that's a real key difference in knowing the source of the um, of the organs that um, comes with uh, vital origins is that it is literally uh, handpicked, and yep. so then we can ensure that um, it's uh, cryovac very quickly and then chilled straight away as well, so it doesn't sit there for an extended period of time. Because as you're saying before, the the organs have so many enzymes in them. Um, they break down very, very quickly. So to ensure the preservation of all the nutrient density in there, um, we've, we've sort of set up the, the process that we can chill them down very quickly and then um, take them back to the, to the hub where they'll um, be snap frozen for their yeah. before. Yeah, the it's a fantastic point of difference, right? No one, no one else can really offer that. Usually there's a bit more time involved in a, in a more, I guess, industrial process between 
removal to actually getting them packed and frozen. So we're getting them super, super fresh, which is amazing. And on top of that, the care that Provenir is taking in removing a lot of these organs and also just the fact that we can get them a lot of a lot of smaller organs, like you were saying, pancreas and things like that, they're often not even removed or, or utilized from the animal because there is a bit of a process involved with getting them out uh, because it's a bit painstaking right. and it is a bit tricky. So yeah, it's amazing that we have a, a top quality product in our own supply chain to make sure that we can always offer these to people who mm -hmm. are, are looking for these amazing nutrient-dense foods. And it's it's the difference between the business model of um, Provenir and the larger abattoirs as well. The abattoirs basically value about 25% of the animal. So that's all the sweet cuts that come from there. So yep. it's all about how quick you can produce those high value cuts. And everything else is just seen as a byproduct, basically, where for us, it's actually we sort of flip that on its head and we see the whole animal as the value. So um, we we do a small fraction of what large abattoirs would do in an hour is what we would do in a week. Um, yeah. I, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to extract as much from the animal um, and to do it in a way that has the minimal impact on the animal and um, maximum focus on the meat quality that's going through from there. Yeah, fantastic. Um, that's why we can say you know, Provenir is the, the most most ethical and uh, highest animal welfare really of anyone around. Yeah, and, and that's, and um, yeah, we really pride ourselves on that. And, um, you know, the, the whole focus is around those two two sides of the same coin, animal welfare and mate quality. Excellent. So quite quite a process. And you know, for people who maybe haven't been on a farm, who haven't been involved with that, it can maybe seem a bit graphic, a bit, a bit gruesome, but these are things that we've done for ages. Again, from that ancestral perspective, we were always hunting and gathering. And you know, these are things that we've done forever and we need to be, I think, more cognizant and aware of where our food comes from, how it gets processed, be thankful for it as well. And the people like yourselves that are processing these things, but it's nice to have that connection improved and give people more education and awareness of where things are coming from. And then obviously, as we said, you know, we've got that whole ethical perspective. So as far as comparison of any other way of, of processing, again, if we choose to eat meat, which from a nutritional perspective, as we talked about, we probably should be doing, we want to do it in the best way possible. And yeah, it sounds like you're definitely doing that. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the content, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you're looking to add in nature's most nutrient-dense foods back into your diet, be sure to check out vitalorigin.com.au and use coupon SOURCE10 at checkout for an extra 10% off. We'll see you guys on the next episode.